They're our sons and daughters, our mothers and fathers, our grandparents, neighbors, and friends. They served in a thousand different ways, in places spanning the globe, watching, waiting, and ready at a moment's notice to give what was asked of them. So now we pause to express our gratitude and love toward those who served. Each swore a sacred oath to protect, and each bravely stood in our place around the world, all so that we could stand secure in the land of the free. Words like sacrifice, honor, commitment, integrity, bravery, and courage hardly scratch the surface of our gratitude for their service. While our words fail against the enormity of expressing our thanks for all you've done, we still raise our voices and honor you in our hearts, which are filled with the deepest kind of gratitude. To all of you, we pause to say, God bless you. And thank you for your service. Many of you know tomorrow is the day that we normally set aside in our country to honor those who have served in our armed forces and those who are still serving in that capacity. Um, on this Sunday, we want to take a moment to recognize those in our congregation and in our fellowship today who have served. And so I would ask two groups if you would stand. Number one, if you at any point in time have served in one of our branches of our military uh, would you please stand so that we can recognize you this morning? And also, while they are doing that, if you currently have a family member that is serving in the armed forces in some capacity, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a nephew, someone that is very, very close to you that is currently serving, would you please stand so that we can recognize you as well? So all of our veterans and all those who have family members that are serving, would you please stand? Thank you, men and women, for your service, and we honor you today and appreciate you very much. We have a song that will be dedicated to you towards the end of our worship today. Um, also, before we look to God's Word this morning, I would remind you that the month of November is a time that we prayerfully consider and pledge to our Great Commission Harvest Offering. Last Sunday was our first Sunday of this emphasis um, we had uh, some baskets out in the foyer that are there, and there are also some pledge cards that are available at our tables out there. If you have not turned in a pledge card and you would feel so led to do that today, we also invite you to be a part of that. Our goal for our harvest offering is $110,000 this year, 
And on our first Sunday, we've already had about $85,000 pledged or given towards that uh, cause. So thank you so very much for your faithfulness. And, and we ask all of you to, to pray about what God would have you to do and how God would have you to be a part of that. And if, if the Holy Spirit so leads you to do that today, then you can place those in those baskets today as you leave and they will be counted and added to our harvest offering total. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open to Genesis chapter 2. Um, and also Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some complimentary copies that are available in the pews in front of you that you can use and take with you today if you need a Bible. Um, We'll also put these verses on the screen here in just a second as we talk for the next couple of weeks about the subject of rest. And so I want to ask a question. Is there anybody out there who is just tired right now? Is anybody tired? Is there anybody who says, Pastor Matt, let me just be real honest with you. I am just wore out, and I feel like I just need a nap, okay? Some of you will probably take advantage of that in the next 30 minutes to catch you one. <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable if you need to. So I, I, I'll tell you a funny story. One time I had a deacon in my previous church who was also a foreman for uh, Alabama Power, and he was working storm relief one weekend, and they had been working pretty much nonstop, and he came to church that Sunday morning, and he, he was a group of three or four men that met with me every Sunday to pray. And He said, Preacher, I'm going to tell you right now, I've been up all weekend, I'm tired, uh, I can't promise you I'm not going to fall asleep in the worship service today. And I said, that's fine, brother, if, if you need to take a nap, that's fine. Um, because he did anyway a lot of times, so, um, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I don't always see people sleeping in church. You know, I try to look out there, but I can't always see what all is going on. But, but he was sitting over on this side about six or seven rows back, and evidently he fell asleep, and when he did, he snored. And I didn't hear it, but he snored, and what I did see was after he snored, his wife hit him in the back of the head, plop, like that. And I just remember seeing her just pop him and him come up like that. And I just kept right on going. But I asked him afterwards, I said, did, did Tracy hit you because you fell asleep? He said, no, I was snoring. And so she was trying to wake me up. So if you need to take a nap today, that's perfectly okay if that's what you need to do. Because let's be honest, most of us in here probably, whether we raised our hand or not, would say, you know what, I really do feel like I'm tired. I really feel worn out. You're not alone if that's the way you feel. A 2017 report by the National Safety Council revealed that 43% of those who responded said that they do not feel like they get enough sleep to be productive at work, to think clearly, and to make informed judgments. 43% said, I just don't feel like I get enough rest to be able to do my job well. That same survey revealed that 97% of people in America suffer from at least one of the nine critical risk factors classified for chronic fatigue. 97% of us suffer from at least one of those critical factors that would cause us to suffer from fatigue. The reality is is that we live in a fast-paced, constantly moving culture. And we thought as technology came into our lives and brought all sorts of technological advances that it was going to make life easier, but the reality is it hasn't made life easier, it's just made life busier. And now we have more to occupy our time and attention than ever before, and at the same time, 
many of us are getting less rest and sleep than we used to. And so I want us to look this Sunday and next Sunday specifically about what God says and what His Word says about rest. And more specifically, what the Bible says about our spiritual need for rest and how the gospel calls us to rest in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about how many times the Bible commands and commends rest? Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Many of us have, a, have trouble with applying that verse to our life. Many of us have trouble just being still before God and waiting patiently for Him to speak into our lives or to move in our lives. Many of us feel like when we're sitting down for more than five minutes that we're not being productive. And so we have a hard time being still. Psalm 116.7 says, Return, O soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We see the commandment to rest most visibly in the institution of the Sabbath and the Lord's command to us to keep it holy. And so I ask you to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. One in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. In Genesis, we see the account of God's creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1. And then in verses 2 through 3 of Genesis chapter 2, it says this. On the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all of the work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So many of us know the creation account and we know that God did something remarkably different on the seventh day. We're going to look at that in just a second. But this passage of Scripture is very closely tied to Exodus chapter 20. And so if you could flip over just a few pages to Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11... When, when the Israelites had come out of Egypt and were at Mount Sinai and God was giving the Israelites the law and specifically He laid out His Ten Commandments, the fourth of those Ten Commandments regarded this seventh day, this day of rest that God instituted in Genesis chapter 2. Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 say this, "...remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And so we see... God commanding His people that one of the ten most um, important requirements of His people is that they set apart and sanctify one day out of the week to remember the Lord God and to keep that day holy by ceasing from labor and work. Now, many of you probably grew up in evangelical culture much like me. It's changed a lot over the last 20 years, but many of you probably grew up in evangelical culture where... Sunday was just different than other days, right? I mean, I can remember when it was even frowned upon that you would go out to eat after church on Sunday because 
restaurants shouldn't be open on Sunday and people be working on Sunday, so therefore you shouldn't go out to eat. I can remember when it was a big deal in my community when they, when they uh, rescinded the Sunday blue laws, which prohibited businesses from being able to operate on Sunday. So you didn't have the opportunity to run out and go shopping because Sunday was just a different day back then. And I think there was, there was some, some good things about that, but unfortunately there also was, we, we have this tendency to take just about everything in Scripture and to begin to, to, to apply it so legalistically that many times we forget the spirit of why God gives us commands and principles and, and, and things like that in Scripture to begin with. God didn't give a command about the Sabbath in order to provide some legalistic standard that we must must abide by in order to prove our righteousness for him. What God does here in Exodus chapter 20 and Genesis chapter 2 is establish for us a pattern that is healthy to our souls. So what do we see going on here? Why Have you ever asked yourself this question, why did God rest on the seventh day? You ever ask yourself that? Was it because in creating the cosmos in six days it was such an exhausting activity that God was tired and somehow needed to replenish His energy? Is that why God said, you know what, I mean, I created the whole cosmos, at least I should get a day off, right? Is that why God did it? Was it because of the the exhaustion of doing that that He somehow or another needed that day? No, we know from the testimony of Scripture, that God is perfect and that God is not subject to human limitations. God does not require sleep at night to replenish His energies like you and I do. Psalm 121 says that He is a God who keeps you and will not slumber. The one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So, God did not rest on the seventh day because He was tired. God rested on the seventh day because He was demonstrating that His perfect act of creation was complete and finished. God is a God of perfection and everything He creates is perfect. And you can see this over and over again in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 when it says God created this on the first day and it was good. God created this and God created this and it was good. And and on the sixth day He finishes His creation with man and and He looks over all of His creation at the end of the sixth day and declares it to be very good. So what is He doing on this seventh day? He is resting because he is admiring his perfect creative act and glorying in the goodness of what he has accomplished. And in doing so, he's setting an incredibly important pattern for those who would become his people that we need a time in our life when we do the very same thing that God did on the seventh day. God institutes the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20 in order to to create a pattern for us and to remind us that while God is perfect and does not need rest to recover His energies, we as His creation do not share in that perfection. We do not share in that same perfect nature and therefore we require rest. We require in our lives a period to cease from labor and activity and hustle and bustle in order to recover not only our physical energies, but also our spiritual energies as well. 
This is why I think at least one day of the week, if it's not Sunday for you, at least one day of the week needs to be different spiritually than all the other days. We're going to talk about that some more next week when we talk about the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath. But in your notes, I put this down. I I really believe this. And I didn't believe this early in my life, but I believe it more now than ever. And that is that the human need for rest is a reflection of the image of God in us and His eternal purposes for us. This, This innate human need not only to sleep at night, but also this need to have a personal Sabbath, to have some time that we just say, this day is different than other days. And on this day, I'm not going to worry about making sure that the yard looks perfect. I'm not going to worry about making sure I get that sales report done. I'm not going to worry about making sure that the house is completely clean. This day is going to be different because God has embedded that in us according to Genesis chapter 2 and has commanded that over us according to Exodus chapter 20. And so the human need for rest, the human need just to stop and unplug is actually part of a reflection of the good image of God inside of us that He has placed within us. And it's a reminder to us that His eternal purposes for us are much more important than the temporal things that occupy our time and our mind. When the Scriptures speak of rest, it doesn't always speak of it like we think of rest. When we think of rest, we think of slumber. When we think of rest, we think of a complete ceasing of all activity whatsoever. When we think of rest, we think about popping up in our lazy boy chair and and having a glass of iced tea, and within about 15 minutes, Grandpa's going to be snoring, right? That's what we think about sometimes when we think of rest. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. But when the Scriptures speak of rest, it's not necessarily speaking as a ceasing of all activity. When the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that God rested from His work, it did not mean that on that day He stopped doing anything. You see, if God stopped doing everything altogether, the entire cosmos would have blown apart. (laughs) Because the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that God is the one who holds all things together. And Paul said to the Athenians in Acts that He is the God who in which we live and move and have our being. And so when when God rested on that seventh day, He didn't cease from all activity. He didn't just pop up in a spiritual lazy boy and took the rest of the day off. That's not necessarily what the Bible means when it tells us to rest. Resting, according to the Scripture, is pausing from the normal, hectic routines of our everyday lives and intentionally creating space not only to cease from busy, worthless activity, but also to create space to fully place the weight of our lives onto God and to trust in Him. Now that's not in your notes, so let me say that again so that we're all clear about what rest is. Rest is pausing from the normal, hectic routines of our lives and intentionally creating some space not only to cease from busyness, but also to fully place the weight of our lives onto God and to trust in Him. That's what God says when He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This word holy in its very nature means set apart. 
You see, the Sabbath was not a mandatory day off like we often think it to be. Instead, it meant approaching one day out of the week where the normal activities of our lives became secondary to the Lord. It meant understanding this day belongs to the Lord and everything about my life today is to be focused on His goodness, His graciousness, and His sovereignty. Sometimes that day for me is not Sunday. As a matter of fact, oftentimes that day for me is not Sunday. I wish it was. My wife and I have tried to make it a point that, that Sunday's different in our lives than other days. And, and we try to avoid doing certain things on Sunday and just spend some time ourselves just resting. But for me, a lot of times that Sabbath and that day of reflection is more Friday for me than it is Sunday because that's my day off. And that's the day when I tend to have a little bit more peace and quiet in my life to be able to just to just read God's Word and to pray and to reflect. But I, I put this in your notes too, and I believe this. If, if we want to be spiritually healthy, we must create space and margin in our lives for rest and reflection. God did not wire us to be going 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And there is not something more holy and sanctified about the fact that you can keep going, 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 busy, 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 and never get tired. There's nothing holy about that. As a matter of fact, I would say it's probably more a reflection of sinful pride than it is sanctification. If we want to be spiritually healthy, we need to create margin in our lives to rest and to reflect upon the goodness of God. We need to recover the discipline of spiritual rest and Sabbath space in our lives because our souls were not created by God to be continually busy. Someone told me some good advice one time when he said, sometimes the most holy thing you can do today is to go home and take a nap. So some of you are going to take advantage of that today. You're going to go say to your spouse, I'm going to go be holy for a couple of hours, right? <laughs> I'm going to go have some holiness time. And that's okay if that's what you need to do. But I want to take this idea of rest just a little bit further this morning because it's more than just keeping Sunday holy or keeping Sunday different. There's another deeper kind of rest that you and I need. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read that in just a second. But I put this question on your notes and on the screen. I want you to reflect on this question for a second. And that is this. What is the worst kind of tired that you could ever experience? What is the worst kind of tired that you could ever experience. Think about that for a second. When have you been tireder than any other time in your life? Maybe it's a tired that accompanies sitting for weeks and months with a loved one whose health is failing. That can be an exhausting task. It can create a sense of tiredness that, that is so deeply embedded that sometimes you don't even realize how tired you are. Maybe it's the tired that comes from multiple sleepless nights with a newborn baby. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. We've been there four times. There have been days when my wife and I just looked at each other with, with bags under our eyes, wondering how in the world we were going to get through this and why in the world we got into it to begin with, right? What's the worst kind of tired that you could ever experience? Is it climbing Mount Everest? Hiking the Sahara Desert? I would submit to you that there's a, there's a kind of tired that surpasses all of those, and it's a tiredness that millions of people in our world suffer from every day. 
And it's a soul tiredness. It's a weariness of the soul. It's a restlessness of the spirit. And it's a weariness that comes from bearing the weight of our sin and having no peace with the God who created us. That's the worst kind of tired that anyone could ever experience. It's to, it's to literally sit under the weight of their sin, to sit under the weight of their decisions, to have absolutely no peace with God, no relationship with Him, no understanding of how to relate to Him, to just literally sit under the conviction of our sin and the conviction of God over us and to feel like I have no way to escape this. That's the worst kind of tired in the world. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. So I want to read the scripture for you. Matthew chapter 11. The Bible says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and anyone, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, there's that good word, rest. Take my yoke upon you and Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus here is offering us an invitation to rest, but it's, it's not the come to Jesus and then you will have a, a better Sunday afternoon nap. It's not a come to Jesus and, and once, you, once you come to Jesus, all of your cares and all of your burdens in this world and everything's good and you're never ever going to be tired again once you come to Jesus. It's not necessarily the kind of rest that he's talking about. He identifies it in verse 29. He says it's a, it's a rest for your souls. It's a, it's a rest that goes down to that soul tiredness that I was talking about a second ago. So I want you to see three truths this morning about the Savior and soul rest very quickly. Number one, I want us to see that the Savior extends to us a, a gracious invitation. A gracious invitation. Verse 28 says, come to me. That's a great phrase. Come to me. We see this gracious character of the Lord Jesus oftentimes in Scripture and Matthew chapter 19, he says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. When other people saw children as a burden and, and someone who, who shouldn't occupy the master's time, Jesus said, No, 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 let, let the little children come to me. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? When Zacchaeus wanted to, to see this, this rabbi named Jesus in the the miracles that he was doing, he, he ran ahead, but he got there too late and the crowd was already lying in the street, so he climbed up a tree. You remember that? He climbed up a sycamore tree and you remember the song? He said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Remember? For I'm going to your house today. Okay, so you all know that song. It's stuck in your head now for the rest of the day, right? But here was the despised tax collector Zacchaeus who, who'd been living the vast majority of his life up to that point for himself 
But he wants to see the Savior, and when he sees the Savior, the Savior sees him and says, come down from that tree and come over here because I'm going to hang out with you today. What a gracious invitation. You see, the word come is an inviting word, isn't it? When someone calls you and says, we would like for you and your family to come over to our house for dinner. That's an inviting thing, right? Or somebody says, you know what, me and some guys are going to get together, we're going to play a few holes of golf, we'd, we'd like you to come and play with us. It's an inviting word. And Jesus here in verse 28 reminds us about the continually open offer of salvation to those who would receive it. Jesus says, come to me. In other words, Jesus has done everything necessary for lost people to find God and to be rightly reconciled to their heavenly creator and forgiven. Jesus has done it all. We sing that song, Jesus paid it what? All. He's done everything that's necessary. He doesn't say, come and while you're at it, here's some things you need to do before you get here. He just says, come to me. And who is he inviting? Well, verse 28 says he's inviting all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are weighed down. Now, he's not just talking about people who are tired from working their jobs all week long. When he says, come to me, all you who labor, he's not just, he's not just speaking about a tiredness that comes from working a 40-plus hour week and balancing the demands of family and friends in the process. That's not the kind of laboring that he's talking about. The labor that Jesus is talking about here is a labor that comes from continually working to try to please God and to meet up to His requirements. It's a soul labor. It's a spiritual labor. Contextually, when Jesus speaks these words, He is speaking to Jews who were living under the continual demands of the law and the hundreds of extra-biblical commands that had been laid upon them in order to keep the law. It created this laborious system where in order to be made right with God, in order to be considered righteous, in order, in order to feel like God was pleased with you, you had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of daily and weekly expectations. And if you stepped outside of those, then somehow or another you had violated the law and you were guilty. And you can imagine what that kind of system would create in someone's life. They felt like no matter what they do, I'm not good Enough. Martin Luther felt this. Martin Luther felt this when, when over and over and over again he, he, had, he had been a monk and he had been searching for God and he would, he would go to confession to confess his sins to the priest and he would do so for hours and hours and hours and yet the more he examined his heart, the more he kept thinking, I've not done enough. It, it's a laborious system. And it's the same thing for many people in our world today. Because most people think to be right with God, it requires you to be a good person and to keep the commandments of God. You go out and you ask the average person who doesn't go to church, what, what do you understand that, that God requires of you in order to be right with Him? Most people would say, well, you need to be a good person. <coughs> you need to keep the Ten Commandments. Then you begin to examine those Ten Commandments and you find out that, that all of us have broken them. Not only broken them, broken them multiple times. And probably already broken some of them on the way to church this morning. And so what happens with people is they establish in their minds what they constitute as a good person in God's eyes. And then they labor to keep that standard. 
And it creates this system where you feel like you have to be good enough, but there's no real sense of what good enough is. How good is good enough? And how do you know that you've met that standard? And how do you know that, that maybe you've met that standard today, but tomorrow you won't? That's what he means by labor. And what most people didn't understand then and don't understand today is that the law was never given to us as a system to make us righteous. The law was given to us as a standard to reveal our unrighteousness and our inability to keep it and to drive us to something outside of ourself, which is Jesus Christ. This inability to keep God's commandments creates a spiritual burden, a spiritual weight in our lives. That's why he calls this being heavy laden. It's being weighed down, not just by the burden of your bills and the burden of your job expectations, but it's, it's being weighed down by the reality of your sin and your disobedience before a holy God. And so the, the Savior offers a gracious invitation this morning. He says, come to me, all you who are laboring to try to please God and are weighed down by the crushing reality of your sin. If you feel like your life doesn't measure up to what God wants, come to me. We see a gracious invitation, but secondly, we see that the Savior offers an eternal transformation. An eternal transformation. Jesus says, if you're tired of the spiritual weight that your life has brought on you, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. In verse 29, he he categorizes us a little bit deeper when he says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me And in doing so, you will find rest for your souls. It's a rest that goes all the way down into the deepest recesses of our being because soul unrest is one of the most exhausting realities that someone can suffer from. Soul unrest is the constant feeling that something isn't right with you and you don't know what to do about it. Soul unrest is knowing that you aren't what you should be, but you you don't have the resources to change who you are. And it creates an exhaustion inside of us, and yet the Savior offers an eternal transformation. When I was thinking about this this burden, I was reminded of David's words in Psalm 32. Listen to these words. David said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's an exhaustion. When I I kept silent about my sin before you, God, I felt felt an exhaustion like, like nothing else I had ever felt before. But blessed is the one who confesses his sins to the Lord and finds his transgression to be forgiven, who finds his sin to be covered by the Savior. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not any longer count iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jesus offers a gracious invitation to come and experience an eternal transformation. And he says to those of us who live under the weight of our sin, come and I will give you spiritual rest. You no longer have to live under the weight of your sin because I bore that for you on the cross. You no longer have to live a life marked by your unrighteousness because I am offering you today my righteousness. You no longer have to live under the title of guilty because I will now call you forgiven. You no longer have to be called a sinner because I will transform you into a saint. 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we discover the freedom and rest that our souls have been searching for all of our lives because only Christ can transform us from guilty sinners to bold disciples. And only God can transform us in such a way that all the desires from sin and self are taken away and we then live for Him and His glory. Sometimes we sing a new hymn called, All I Have is Christ, and I love the way the hymn writer wrote it when he says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race indifferent to the cross, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. That's an eternal transformation. So I want you to listen today to the gracious invitation to come to Jesus and find rest and offer the offer that He makes to you today for a complete and total personal transformation. <coughs> but thirdly, we see the Savior, Savior not only extends a gracious invitation and offers an eternal transformation, but He seeks from us a humble submission. <coughs> he seeks a humble submission. To find this rest in Christ, there is something that's required on our part. We must humbly submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29 and 30. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is that? That's an invitation to total submission. You see, if you and I are ever going to find the rest that our souls long for, we must come to a point where we are willing to lay aside the belief that our goodness is good enough. And we must give up on our religious performance and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. He doesn't just say, here's rest, I'm giving this as a gift. He tells us that rest comes from being connected to Him. Again, this tells us that rest is not a ceasing from activity because the invitation is, come and find rest. And the way you find rest is, here's a yoke and I'm in one side of the yoke and you're going to get in the other side and we're going to do life together. This yoke was a wooden instrument that was used to tie two beasts together that had to pull some kind of load. And usually, the wise farmer understood that the best way to do that was to take a younger bull or ox, someone who had an incredible amount of strength but was kind of unbridled and didn't know how to harness that, and to, and to yoke that to an older, more wise, more mature ox and so they would put those together because the more mature ox would, would help the younger ox to realize how to pull the load and when to pull and when not to pull. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find rest, but the way you're going to find rest is you need to submit to me. You need to take my yoke upon you. You need to get connected to me and you need to submit to where I am going because where I am going is going to be much better than what you're trying to do on your own. One of the benefits of, of hooking two oxen up to the same yoke was, was really what we call in our world today synergy. 
You got more work out of two oxen that were harnessed together under one yoke than you did out of those two oxen individually if you tried to get both of them to pull the loads individually. And what Jesus says to you and me is this, you will get much more accomplished in your life of eternal value if you will surrender to me than you ever will trying to do life on your own. Because while we get connected to Jesus, Jesus reminds us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And isn't it interesting what he says there? He says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavily laden or heavily burdened. Come to me because my burden is light. What happens to that burden? He takes the burden off of us and he places the burden on himself. And all we have to do is get connected to Jesus. All we have to do is totally and completely surrender our lives to him and his purposes. When we are yoked with Jesus, we learn from him. This is a call to discipleship. It's a call to follow Jesus and to let him take the lead in our lives because we are called into a disciple-making relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We say it clearly, when Jesus calls us, he does not call us to be converts. He does not call us to be church members. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to be people who follow him. And discipleship requires humble submission and complete and total surrender. Discipleship means coming to the point where you give up all that you are for all that Christ is. And until you do that, you won't find rest. So let me ask you, do you need some rest this morning? Not just a nap, which is perfectly holy for you to go and do this afternoon. But do you, need a, do you need a spiritual rest this morning? Have you sensed a restlessness in your spirit lately? Well, you feel like you've been on a performance trap and no matter what you do, it's not good enough and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired spiritually. That happened for me 30 years ago when I had been going to church all my life and doing all the things that people asked me to do. And, and if you examine my life from the outside, I was a good little church kid. And I knew all the rules and all the expectations and I kept them all, but I didn't have peace with God and I didn't have spiritual rest. I can remember when I became a Christian not long after that, one of the most influential passages in my life was Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, when I heard someone speak about that passage and say, come and lay all your burdens on him and then you will find rest for your soul. So are you tired this morning and need to find Jesus? Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. And maybe today you need to come and say, you know what, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm tired and I need to trust Jesus today. If you want to come and do that, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you'd like to talk to somebody about that after church, we'll give you an opportunity to do that as well. But don't leave out of here bearing the same spiritual burden that you brought into this place today. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a gracious God who doesn't just require us to work out our salvation on our own. You don't just call us to perform better in order to be right before you. But you've come to release us from that performance trap and to call us to rest in Jesus Christ today. So I pray for the sinner in here today who is apart from you that you would call them to trust in Jesus, to surrender to Him. 
and to repent of his sin and to believe the gospel today. But I call on you to convict those of us who are the saints in here today to quit trying to perform for you when you've already given us everything, including forgiveness. May we all leave here today resting in Christ and what he has done for us. Father, I pray that you would exhort, encourage, and convict during this time. And may it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, sing this song, and respond if the Lord leads you today.